working with band members, spotlight in your eyes, unfreezing natural communication, venue size, why stars need coaching, talking points between songs, working the camera, worst things to do on stage, rabbit trails and acro yoga. All of this and more is right here in part two of my interview with veteran live performance coach, Diane Kimbrough. Check it out. Hello, this is Judy Rodman. You're listening to All Things Vocal Podcast. This is the audio version of the blog you can find at judyrodman.com. I can fix you, I can teach you, I can make thing you to think about, Judy, because we both work with bands, is that band members who like come to my rehearsals and they're the guitar player or they're the drummer or the bass player, they think they're just up there in the background. And I tell them, no, you are playing lyrics. Playing lyrics. Yes, they are playing the lyrics. They are playing the thoughts and the feelings that are expressed in that song. Wow. But instead of words, they're simply playing them on musical notes. Conversation includes them. Yeah, Mm, that's such a great way to put it. And that's what I mean by being authentic. I think it's authentic to the conversation. Another example I give students sometimes is, Can you imagine being at the mall and you are, you know, walking around and you hear this really intense conversation going on over there in front of one of the stores? Doesn't everything inside you want you to kind of slide over there and move your ear that way just to hear what's going on because it's interesting and you're curious? Well, that's what, to me, stage presence is. is It pulls the audience in just like that, like a magnet. Another thing that I've done when I was an artist and I had trouble when the spotlight was in my eyes. And that's something a lot of new artists deal with. I think it numbs them out like the typical deer in the headlights, right? What I've done is picked an atom in the middle of the whiteness about where I know the chairs are or where people are. And I interact with that little spot, just like you would if you were doing an animated movie. And I try to interact with it and make it real for myself. And then I'll move the spot maybe over to someplace else on the other side of the stage or another part of the, of the audience or maybe even the balcony. But that way I don't have to actually see them. I can pretend I see them. Sure. Well, I think we've all been in circumstances where we're having a conversation in our head maybe, or we might even be talking out loud while we're you know, dusting the furniture. Right. isn't there. Right. We have just as much emotion in our voice and we might even throw the rag we're dusting with across the room or something, but you know, while we're working something out in our head and we don't have to see that person to have that conversation and be fully engaged. And you know what's funny when I do that? I just realized it just now. My face is working. I'm using facial language because I'm actually out loud having a conversation. A conversation involves our body and facial language, which is what you and I help people do. Wow. Yes, but you know what's interesting about this, Judy, is every artist that we've ever worked with thinks that when they come on stage, suddenly everything changes and they have to do something different. Mm-hmm. And I see artists who come into a rehearsal and they're extremely animated when we're sitting and talking. And as soon as they stand up and the music goes on, they freeze. <laughs> 
And they're like, I'm, I'm just you know, not natural. I'm like, are you kidding? You just sat here and had a very animated conversation with me with an expressive face and you know, tons of gestures. This is natural for you. You do it all the time. You have to get out of the fact that when you stand up and have a mic in front of you, that it's any different. All you did was stand up and put a mic in front of you. Right. But everybody is already natural at doing all of these things. We're not asking them to do something that is not natural. Yeah. How do you change your advice for people according to the venue in which they're going to be performing? Do you have some tips for them as pertains, say, playing a bluebird as opposed to playing Bridgestone? Well, yes and no. Um, first of all, I always ask people to do the arena show. I really don't have people practice doing the coffee house version. I have people practice the arena show, and here's why. Again, it's about expanding yourself and discovery. And so if you ask them to rehearse that bigger space, mm -hmm. They're going to find things in themselves that they didn't know were there that they can use in the smaller space. And when they're in the smaller space, they're going to literally be restricted by the physical space. For example, you can't do things in the Bluebird that you can do in the Bridgestone Arena. Mm -hmm. So you're automatically going to physically pull in and do things smaller. But if you rehearse the arena version, mm -hmm. you will discover greater facial expression. You'll discover different things vocally that you will still keep and use to some extent in that smaller space. That makes all the sense in the world. And then the uh, job becomes be present, you know, be aware of where you are. If you were talking to somebody, um, you know, a hundred feet from you, you would use your voice differently than if you were whispering in someone's ear. Right. And nobody has to tell you to do that. You're not going to shout because you lose two feet in front of you and you can't extend your arms that wide because you've got your band really tight around you in the smaller space. Right. Now there are differences between performing live and performing for the camera. Oh, that's good. I do work with artists uh, when they're doing music videos or when they're in a film, because the camera is able to capture things with close-ups that you don't get on stage. So that kind of animated face and bigger gestures are not often needed on camera. Plus you move out of the camera's uh, view too a little bit. I remember when I was doing a lot of the TV shows back as an artist, I learned to keep my head a little more still than I normally would. Mm -hmm. Yeah, everything is so magnified. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And, and also, it, you need to learn how to interact with the eye of the camera, right? Or ignore it. Exactly. Okay, so what circumstances are there where someone who has been on stage, say maybe done performances for years, and they just, they're really comfortable on stage, why would they want to come and work with you to uh, up their game? Well, I think artist development is something that lasts the length of a career. The point That's when you stop developing or don't think you need to develop, you just sang your last song. <laughs> totally. You know what? I'm learning something new every day, I'm, I'm hoping. I'm learning some new stuff from you right now. <laughs>
Well, that's what keeps everybody fresh. If you're not learning and discovering, you're just, you know, phoning it in kind of. Nobody <laughs> wants to watch that. It's not exciting. What's exciting is watching that discovery unfold, whether you're the audience member or whether you're the artist. You get bored with yourself if you're just doing the same thing every single day. And so really pushing yourself to find something that you didn't know was there or a, a, just a different feel about a song. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the other thing with really well-established artists is they often change the set that they're touring with. Uh -huh. So, you know, they have different risers, they have different special effects. So reworking those smash songs that they've had to make them fit on their new stage is important. Right. And right. when you're playing the same venues, you may play the same festival several years in a row because you're a big headliner. You have to bring something fresh to the table. Mm -hmm. What's the worst thing you've ever seen anybody do on stage? And I, I know that's quite a question because you've probably seen people do a lot of bad things on stage, but what's one of the worst things you've ever seen somebody do? The worst thing is nothing. <laughs> okay. There you go. <laughs> There's that. I think, <laughs> I think, well, I mean, really, you know, in terms of stage presence, nothing is horrible. Um, but the worst thing is not falling down. People fear that all the time. If I move on stage, I might fall down or fall over a mic cord. Those kinds of mistakes or forgetting a lyric or forgetting what you were going to say between songs, those are not issues. Those actually give a human element to things and the audience loves seeing how you work through a little mistake like that or a, or a you know, a costume faux pas or something. But I think anything that's on stage that's in poor taste yeah, yeah. is yeah. among the worst things. Right. The things that people fear the most are probably not the bad things that happen, but I would say things that are in poor taste are the most cringeworthy for me. Yes, and that includes uh, being, say, not grateful to other uh, stage hands or the sound people or, or even, you know, the audience members. Yes. I don't like to see someone on stage who doesn't appear approachable, mm -hmm. uncomfortable. And I want to see someone on stage that is that person that I'd love to go to lunch with afterward. Mm -hmm. Even if they're not. <laughs> Even if they're not, like say Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson uh, is a really good case in point. The talk show host, by the way, for the really young ones out there. But Johnny Carson had the appearance on camera of being just as personable and and friendly as as all get out. But privately, he had like a glass dome around him. So you can create that persona or bring that part of yourself out that that has that persona because as artists we can't let everybody have every part of us it'll be like tearing us apart or you know, exposing too much of our private lives all the time but the audience needs to feel like they are experiencing part of your private self right yeah yeah you got any tips on sweet <laughs> go ahead we were going in the same place. I'm laughing because you were speaking in between. And I was going to say, and that's part of the thing about what you say between songs, that banter in between. Ah. That's when you get to not play a role and you get to be you. Right. You get that little window into who you are and your little sense of humor and uh, your perspective on the world. Right. Just like you're talking to one person, right? It is. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and that's probably one of the greatest anxiety producing things for artists is I don't know what to say between songs because they can play a role and be, you know, someone else when they're in the song. But boy, when they're between songs, they're all just hanging out there. Uh -huh. you know, all the world to see and it's not lyrics that they've memorized they have to figure out what to say next and that can be unsettling for them mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's where it's having a little script that you can uh, edit and vary at will is kind of nice isn't it it is i like to have an artist uh, have some structure to that not that they can't vary that right. but to plan according to what needs to happen in their set where they're going to speak and it helps them have a comfort zone if they have that mapped out. And they can have just a little bit of a sketch of what that might be. At this point, I'm going to say thank you. At this point, I'm going to direct people to my social media. At yep. this point, I want to tell the story about this song. Mm -hmm. Or I need to interject something about, you know, I had a funny thing happen this afternoon and I just want to tell them. Mm -hmm. That's good, too. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you work with people, you, you help them also decide when to speak and when not to speak, right? Yes. And there, some of that actually just fits into the common sense structure of things. Mm -hmm. uh, there are times if you're playing with a band that somebody in the band needs to tune their instrument or change instruments. And so, you know, you've got a cover for that. You can't have more than four seconds of blank space on stage. Mm -hmm. And so you have to say something in those all right, well, let me talk about you. What is your favorite hobby? I've seen some pictures that amaze me on social media of things that you're doing right now. Well, you know, some people uh, have a middle-aged crisis and they go out and buy a Maserati. <laughs> um, my middle-aged crisis was getting into acro yoga. Acro yoga. And it yeah. looks and just so like pounds. <laughs> What's really fascinating about it, Judy, is how much I have found a connection between that and uh, live performance coaching. Oh, wow. That's so funny that you say that because everything I do from playing golf to uh, gardening or whatever, I always find some kind of parallel that goes along with the vocal world. So you do that as well with performance coaching. Right. So for people that don't know what acro yoga is, um, it is taking yoga movements and poses and throwing those in with some um i guess i would say almost like circus performance so you're doing a lot of partner or group work creating different shapes and different movement and it can be kind of terrifying because uh you might be up in the air you might be supporting someone who is twice your weight uh it, it, there's a big risk factor in it and a big fear factor and so uh, if, if you see people doing things in Cirque du Soleil, it's kind of like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Wow. Just to get a visual on it. And right. so I had never done anything like that. Even as a dancer and choreographer, I had done some partnering and lifts and things like that, but nothing like what I'm doing in acro. And because I'm on the small side, I am a flyer, which means I'm the person that's up in the air. Right. And uh, and it's extremely exciting and exhilarating, and it has challenged me to find things within myself that I really had not been in touch with in a long time, which is a, you know, a certain amount of courage and grit 
and uh, overcoming fear factor, which helps me relate to artists who are dealing with stage fright and techniques for breathing through all of that. Because sometimes when I'm six feet up in the air, upside down and backwards, and I'm balancing on one person's foot, um, I have to use all of those techniques myself. And um, I have learned a lot about trust because when you are flying, you really have to trust the base is not going to drop you on your head. And when you are on stage, you have to trust the support of the system that's around you, your band and uh, all of the technical stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to trust yourself. Yeah. And so doing a lot of these really challenging things in the past few months has given me a, a really refreshing insight into working with my artists. Well, I'll tell you what, if anybody's interested in seeing what Diane's doing, check out her uh, Instagram, Diane Kimbrough, uh -huh. and, uh, and check it out. Follow her and you'll see. Diane, you are in great shape is all I got to tell you. Oh, well, thank uh, you. Yeah, I'm just now getting into yoga for the first time in my life. So between that and my tropical fish, I'm, I'm stopping for now. <laughs> but they're both instructive. Well, okay. I think it's really important for us to challenge ourselves to take on something yeah. we've never done before. I do because too. Because it will enhance everything else that we do. Yes. Who would you like to point to who is really excellent on stage? What show would you suggest that we go watch? Oh, goodness. Um, award shows are interesting to watch for artists because, first of all, they get to see such a variety of different artists. I would suggest you watch the award shows because you see a lot of different things going on and you see people who are really successful at communicating with the audience and really not. And so that's an excellent thing. And you have to look at as many of the top selling artists at as you can, even if they are not in the genre that you are in, it's important to look at those artists, really figure out what is it about them that the audience finds appealing. Mm -hmm. And it may be an artist that you don't care for their music, but if they're a big selling artist, you've got to figure out what's happening and what's making it work. What's the audience connecting to? Right. I want to go back to one thing that we talked about a little bit earlier, Judy, because sure. I had another thought on it. What's the most common mistake or the worst thing that I see on stage? Mm -hmm. One of the biggest mistakes that I see people make on stage, Judy, is that they assume that the audience is seeing and feeling just like they do when they're doing the song. Huh. And, and that has to be rethought. If, if you think that someone sees things as you do or feels what you're feeling, you get the feeling that you don't need to do much because they get it. And the fact is everybody out there is seeing and feeling it a little differently than you because they can only call on their own experiences in life. And I'll give you an example of this. There was a female artist I was working with recently who had written a song that she was doing. And when we went back to analyze the lyrics, I said, you know, Tell me what this is about. Because when I heard the song, I was pretty certain that it was about a relationship. It sounded like, you know, she was a female singer and she had a relationship with a guy and the guy left and she was devastated. Mm -hmm. So tell me, you know, about this song. Let's go through the lyrics and, and, you know, what is this really about? And she laughed and she said, oh, well, this is a song I wrote about my cat. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, if, if she was singing it about her cat, I certainly wasn't seeing it and feeling it like she was. So she had found a cat by the side of the road, took the cat home, had a great deal of fun with this cat, but unbeknownst to her, the cat had feline leukemia and didn't last very long. It died. The song sounded like she had like, been in a bar, seen a cute guy, <laughs> for it, and then the guy dumped her. And so you, as an artist, have to kind of let go of what you think you own about that song, and especially if you're the singer-songwriter, because it's pretty well guaranteed that they aren't going to see it like you do because they can only call on their own experience. Right, and sometimes that's okay if they can put their own experience into it. And there's been hit songs, as we know, written about dogs. But I know what you're saying, and again, there's another parallel with what we do. If the artist just assumes, and this is a singer-songwriter fail, if the artist just assumes that other people know what the song is or know what it's about, they're not going to articulate very clearly then uh, they just kind of assume that the audience knows it. Well, I will beg to differ. And I'll also say, even if they do know the song, create the words in such a way that they can actually understand them. It's about what you make the heart feel, not about what your heart feels or knows that's required to elicit a response from the heart you're talking to and the audience, right? Oh, absolutely. Do you talk to uh, your artists about punctuation? Oh, yes. Sometimes I'll absolutely say, can you give me a comma there? And that doesn't necessarily mean to breathe there. It means to re-pull the next line, like they're two separate thoughts rather than a run-on sentence. Absolutely. Is it an exclamation point? Is it a question? Is it a statement? Absolutely. Yeah, that's something that I find that uh, I really have to reel them in on and make them stop and think about that because mm -hmm. they're, they're singing and they're not seeing the punctuation. And I always give them the example of a great book that, uh, that Jerry gave me. And the book title is... Jerry's Your Husband, the incredible guitar player, Jerry Kimbrough. <laughs> Plug for Jerry. Okay, so what? And the title of the book is Eats, Shoots, and Leaves. <laughs> I said to the artist, okay, this is the title of a book. What do you think it's about? And they say, eats, shoots, and leaves. Well, it sounds like somebody like walked into a bar, had dinner, pulled out a gun, shot somebody, and left. <laughs> yeah. I said, I know it sounds like that. Well, let me tell you something. It's about pandas. They eat, shoots, and leaves. <laughs> And then, of course, you know, their jaw drops and they start laughing. But I said, that's the difference in punctuation. Mm -hmm. Throw your mother from the train a kiss. I think that was a movie. I think it might have been. <laughs> but, you know, that's one of those things that the artists really don't stop and think about. Where are the commas? Where are the exclamation points? And so punctuation is important. Right. I never thought about that being part of stage movement, but of course it is. Yeah. It's communication, vocal and body language and facial language, uh, silent communication. So an artist that I have worked with for a number of years, and I were speaking the other day, and she said one of the things that really stuck with her was something I told her quite early on, which was that when you are an artist and you're on stage, you have to realize that you are incredibly unique. And the public view of you is very special and magical. And you have to accept that 
and you have to present that. You can't go up there thinking, oh, I'm just a regular guy. Because as a recording artist or an entertainer in the public side, you're not just a regular guy. You have an elevated status. And they want you to. Yeah, they want you to. And it's really important that you take that on, not in an egotistical way, because you, know, you kind of have to put your ego to the side, but you have to accept and realize, wow, I'm in a very charmed place right here in that I get paid to do something that I really love. I have a very unique thing that not very many people in this world get to do. So really honoring and cherishing the fact that you have this and taking the responsibility that goes along with having that kind of position should cause you to have a brain shift. Mm -hmm. You know, they call our talents gifts, mm -hmm. but gifts are forgiving. Mm -hmm. And if you are focused on your own issues with, you know, fear or, or lack of self-confidence and all that navel gazing, you're mm -hmm. not able to look outward and deliver, right. deliver your gift. So that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool that she came to that understanding. She's an incredible young artist. And uh, I can see her. I can see her doing that. Yeah. Like you say, it's not an ego trip. It's a job description. Well, it is. And it's a responsibility. Mm -hmm. That when she realized, whoa, I have the responsibility of being what they think I am. Mm -hmm. Pretty cool. And yeah. I love working with you, Diane Kimbrough. Oh, thank you. I, it's a mutual thing, Judy. <laughs> we have a love thing going on. The thing is that it really works. And I feel like for the artists, they feel a great safety net when they know that they are working with two people or a team of people who are very supportive of each other's techniques. Right. They're not going to me and getting something that's 180 degrees in the opposite direction of exactly. you, exactly. which makes it confusing and it makes it uh, very difficult for them to try to please us both or, you know, have success where when they're hearing that same thing expressed differently, but really hearing the same nut of, you know, information helps them so much to be able to move forward. In fact, I would say to all coaches out there, that's what, that's what we should do. Diane and I have uh, seen things different ways at different times. And whenever we do that, we actually go to the other and say, what do you think about, what about this? Or you said this, what does that mean? Because I don't understand it, you know, and, and it's got to go together for the client or we are just trying to pull them apart or giving them too many things to think. Oh, absolutely. And I want to make sure that when I'm working with someone that you're working with, I'm not having them do something that would compromise the vocal technique that you're teaching. So how can somebody reach you, Diane, uh, if they want to ask questions or look to book a session with you? Well, the easiest thing is use social media. They can go to my website, which is dianekimbro.com. Can you spell that? Sure. D-I-A-N-E-K-I-M-B-R-O-U-G-H.com. All my contact information is there. And uh, another way would be through Instagram at Diane Kimbrough, and they can always direct message me on Instagram, or they can ask you. Or they can ask me, that's exactly right. If they forget how to spell your name, guys, just ask me, that's, that's exactly right. Well, Diane, thank you so very much. 
for sharing some of your wisdom with us on all things vocal. And I uh, can't wait to double team somebody with you again. Oh, Judy, it's been delightful. I appreciate you inviting me. Thanks. All right. See you later. This is Judy Rodman. You can find me at judyrodman.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review where you heard it. That's the fuel that keeps this thing going. And thank you. See you next time on All Things Vocal, the podcast for singers, speakers, vocal coaches, and studio producers.